Appreciate you. Thank you for being here. God bless you for coming on Roundup Sunday. 22 years of rounding people up, man. I'll talk about Roundup Day here in a second and tell you what it's all about. But uh, don't you just love wearing your blue jeans to church? I mean, I, I love preaching in blue jeans and, and, uh, and wearing my cowboy hat. I do shoot uh, cowboy action, and this is the way I dress. I'm a B-Western shooter. In fact, I'm, I'm kind of mellow right now. I had a really good outfit picked out for you today that was bright and colorful and, and loud. And I asked Miss Angie what she thought about it, and she said, uh, uh, I don't think so. She said, that's going to be really hard for us to look at while you're preaching. So tone it down a little bit. And so uh, we've, we've toned it down some. Hey, you like my boots? You like these old boots? These are awesome boots. Let me tell you a little story about my boots. We were in Durango, Colorado uh, earlier this year, and I found these in a flea market. And uh, couldn't, I couldn't resist. They, I mean, they're, they're, they're B-Western boots, man. And so I, I, I made an offer. I bought them, brought them back home. Have a bootmaker friend in Oklahoma. Took them to him. He took pictures of them, called some of his buddies. And here's what they think. They think these were custom-made boots from a bootmaker in El Paso, Texas. And they think these boots were made in 1958. <laughs> Gary, these boots are older than me, man. And they look better than I do, too. So, uh, hey, man, glad you're here. Uh, glad to be able to preach to you on Roundup Sunday. Top 10 signs your pastor is watching too many Westerns on TV. Anybody out there like to watch Westerns? Come on. Do you like to watch Westerns? I love Westerns. In fact, the, the background scenes for today's songs brought a tear to my eye. I mean, it reminded me of, of back home, but I love Westerns, and I love the Western Channel. Uh, used to, when I'd flip it on uh, 2301, the whole family would get up and walk out of the room, because nobody in my family likes Westerns. Now it's just Angie, but she, she gets up and walks out of the room when I turn it on 20. Yeah, I think this is pretty poetic justice. Her mama was visiting earlier this week, and I was out of town, and she called me, and she says, oh my goodness, you wouldn't believe this. I'm having to watch a Western with my mom. I said, which one? It was Shane, the old movie Shane. Don't go, Shane, Shane, come back. Jason, you watched it, all right. Woo, man. There's just kind of this affection for those. Anyway, top 10 signs your pastor is watching too many Westerns. Number 10, ask for the song Rawhide to be sung as a call to worship. I love Rawhide. That's good. His new three-week sermon series is entitled The Good, The Bad. See, y'all, y'all know this stuff. Constantly threatens to preach well past high noon. And, and I may do that today. I don't know. Starts each service with, howdy, partners. Howdy. There you go. Y- y'all are getting it. Number six, forces ushers to wear bandanas around their face and take up the offering with a 10-gallon hat. I love that. I mean, why not? Why not? Always refers to his Bible as his six-shooter. Walks into the pulpit with a hearty, Hi-yo, silver! Number three, keeps referring to members of his staff as Hoss, Little Joe, Woody, and Miss Kitty. Oh, I know, but 
I just like Miss Kitty. I like saying Miss Kitty, don't you? One, two, three. There you go. Call Miss Angie Miss Kitty. No, better not. All right. Number two refers to deacons' meetings as a campfire chat. And the number one sign your pastor is watching too many westerns, at the end of the service, he replaces, replaces the altar call with a roundup. And we're going to round them up today. There you go. Hey, there, there are four verses I want to start with and read to you. And uh, then we're going to talk about one of these verses. The first verse is found in Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, and it's verse number 16. It's talking about Jesus. So he, Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. So he really went back home to his hometown. And as his custom was, that's a little phrase I want you to get. Read it with me. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. So that verse tells us that it was the custom of Jesus Christ when he was on planet earth to every week go to God's house. So on a regular basis, Jesus went to church. I like to say this about it. It was his holy habit of showing up every week to church. He's not the only one who did that. In the book of Acts, chapter 17, verse number 2, it talks about the apostle Paul. The end of verse 1 says, there was a synagogue of the Jews. So it was church. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them. And for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Holy Scripture. So here we have Jesus and Paul, and their custom was... To go to church every single week. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I kind of feel the same way about it as the psalmist did in Psalm 122, verse 1. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Amen. Okay, come on. We're not going on until y'all really get into this. There you go. I mean, I was glad when they said to me, Holy smoke. That's who I am today. I'm holy smoke. Let's go to church. And then the writer to Hebrews said this in Hebrews 10, 25. Let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. But let us exhort one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. And the day that is approaching is the second coming of Jesus Christ. So in light of his soon return, we need to be showing up at church so that we can encourage one another. This is Roundup Sunday. As Jason said, this is the 22nd Roundup Sunday we've done. I've actually been doing Roundup Day for 34 years. Uh, the only church I didn't do it in, Gary, was Pine Bluff. And I don't know why I didn't do it in Pine Bluff. It, I mean, it's a great holy day. I mean, holiday. 22 years we've been doing it at Kavanaugh. And what is Roundup Day all about? Well, it's real simple. What we're trying to do on Roundup Day is just round all of our people up and try to get our people back in the groove. 
church. We do it in September. We're kind of a little late this year, but it's still September, all right? After the summer vacations are over, kids are back in school, we want to round up our people and get them back in church. So today I'm, I'm going to talk about why is it so important that you be in God's house every single week? Or l- let me try to answer this question. What's wrong, preacher? What's wrong with me worshiping God at home? Or what's wrong with me worshiping God at the lake? Or I talked to a guy this past week. He said, what's wrong with me worshiping God on the deer stand? Because I can really connect with God when I'm out in the woods on the deer stand. Or what's wrong with me worshiping God any place other than the church? And I've got two answers to that question. The first answer is, well, there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, you can worship God anywhere. I can worship God at home. I can worship God at the lake. This past week I was at Mount Magazine. That is my favorite place to go because I climb on top of Signal Hill, the highest point in the state of Arkansas, and I talk to God. I mean, I love that place. It's a beautiful, scenic place. And you know what? You can worship God. You can worship God in the deer stand, in your car. You can worship God anywhere. So nothing is wrong with that. But the second answer to what's wrong with me worshiping in these other places and not in church, my second answer is everything is wrong with it. Nothing and everything. Through the years I've heard people tell me, preacher, I just don't go to church because you know what? I find that I can worship God better in nature. Yeah. I, can, I can worship God better in the privacy of my own home watching it on TV. Or other people tell me, I would never go back to a church because I've been hurt in church and there's nothing in church but a bunch of hypocrites. And I, you know, maybe there are a bunch of hypocrites in church, but that doesn't need to keep you from being where God has called you to be. Others don't mind going to church, but you know what? On a pretty Sunday... Why not go to the lake? Why not fill my day with fun and frolic, leaving no thought for church at all? Well, of course, I know that we all need relaxation. We also need solitude for the development of our own souls. Jesus Christ himself often withdrew to the mountains or to a private garden to worship the Lord and pray. But I also want you to know he regularly showed up at church. In fact, it was his custom to be in the Lord's house on the Lord's day. And throughout the Bible, God was continually putting his people together in community, in a family, for the purpose of worshiping God together, rendering love to one another as we offer praise and worship to God. What concerns me is how easily we can begin making Sundays a day for sleeping late or a day for going to the lake or a day for catching up on all the things that we've neglected through the week and giving no thought at all to worshiping God and coming to his house. According to surveys done just a few years ago by the Christian pollster George Barna, 
40% of Americans show up at church on any given Sunday. That's what Barna found out. They, they, they polled thousands of people and they asked them the question, do you attend church? 40% of Americans said, yes, on any given Sunday we are at church. But that just didn't compute. Okay? People who are in church knew that, that that couldn't be true. And what they discovered is that there is what they call a halo effect. You know a halo over a person's head to make them holier than they really are? When people were asked the question, do you go to church, do you attend church, that holo, halo effect kicked in and said, oh yeah, yeah, it would be wrong to say no, I don't go to church. So, yeah, I've been to church. Well, maybe they went when they were a kid. And they're saying, yes, I go to church. Or maybe they show up once or twice a year and that's it. That's the 40%. So upon further investigation, they determined that no, it's not 40% of Americans who show up on church every Sunday. It is only 17.7% of Americans are in church. And besides all of that, only 6% of churches are actually growing the rest are declining. So people aren't showing up for church. And here's what I know at Kavanaugh. Here, here are our numbers. On any given Sunday morning, we have 20% at least of our regular attenders who are not here for whatever reason. Either you're on a business trip or you're on vacation or you're sick. Or here's the classic, the best excuse I've ever heard of anybody not showing up for church. I, I was told this in Enid, Oklahoma when I was a youth pastor. My pastor, Buddy, and I, Buddy Drake and I went and visited some people who hadn't been to church in a long time. And, and we, where, where you been? We've been missing you. Here's what the lady said. Well, last Sunday we ran out of peanut butter. I don't, am I communicating with you guys? Or, that's the best excuse I've ever heard. Okay, man, you can't go to church without peanut butter in the cupboard. I, I mean, I'm gonna, any given Sunday morning, 20% of our people are just not here. And here's what I also know, because I've, I've studied it for the past 21 years. If we took everybody who comes to Kavanaugh Church in an 8 to 10 week period, okay, so if, if you take individual pictures of everybody who comes between 8 and 10 weeks, if by chance all of those people who attend one of those services in 10 weeks decided to show up on the same Sunday, we wouldn't have enough parking places, nor would there be enough seats for people to sit. Someone said, the great task of the church is not getting sinners into heaven, it's getting saints out of bed on Sunday morning. <laughs> Come on, you got to admit, that's funny. Come on. Or, as the great theologian Woody Allen once put it, 80% of life is just showing up. <laughs> you know, irregularity in any part of our life can cause problems. Huh? Uh, it was said about the early Christians, they continued steadfastly. That means they were highly devoted. They were completely committed to the apostles' doctrine, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and also to prayer. So here's what I've got to say to you. If you are on again, off again in your church attendance, it hurts everybody. I mean, it really does. 
If you're not here on any given Sunday, it's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt you spiritually. If you have kids or grandkids who are dependent upon you to get them here to church, if you don't come and bring those kids, it's hurting your family. And besides all of that, when you're not here, it hurts the rest of us. Because the Bible uses the analogy of a human body to describe the church. And so if my right hand decides to go off to wherever and not be here, it hurts the body. You with me? Besides that, I'm here to tell you, you wouldn't put up with it if it were something else in your life. For example, if your watch only ticked one time and then missed the next time, would you put up with that? No, you'd either go get a new battery or get a new watch. What about this? Your heart beat one beat and then missed the next beat. Well, let me tell you something. You'd be going to the doctor. What about this? Your kid went to school one day but then missed the next day. On one, off the next. Your door. What about this? You go to turn on your car. You start your car. And it's only hitting on half the cylinders. Would you put up with that? You know, okay, it's gotten subdued in here because I've, I'm starting to meddle now with you. I'm meddling with you. You know what I'm talking about. The, the, things, the things that we would not put up with at all, we tolerate in our own life when it is by far more important than any of these other things. Your spiritual health is dependent upon you being here on a regular basis. That's why we have that verse in Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, verse 16, telling us it was the holy habit of Jesus to go to church. Let me read that verse again. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, his hometown. He went home. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. It, it was just his habit. Jesus, Jesus went to church. Now, I got to thinking about this. I was meditating on this verse the other night, and, and I woke up. I'd been dreaming about it, and I woke up, and I realized some things. If, if anybody had the right not to go to church, if anybody had a valid reason not to show up every week to church, it was Jesus. I mean, Really? He didn't have to go to church to find the presence of God. <laughs> he was God. <laughs> Secondly, what in the world could they teach him at church that he didn't already know? He, he knew it all. He knew it before the foundation of the world was brought into existence. They couldn't teach him a cotton-picking thing. You know what? When he stepped in the door... He was the best preacher in the house, wasn't he? Besides all that, if anybody had a reason not to show up as Jesus, because those people didn't like him. The people in the church, they hated Jesus. I mean, even back home, even at his home church, they didn't like him. Because what Jesus did in Luke chapter 4 is he opened the word of God. He read it and he preached from it. And they didn't like his sermon. In fact, it says in verse 28, So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. 
Kind of like some of y'all are getting to be right now. And they rose up and they thrust him out of the city. And they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built. And they would have thrown him over the cliff. But Jesus just kind of passed right through them. And he went on his own way. If anybody had a reason not to go to church, it was Jesus. But I'm here to tell you, he kept going to church. And I, got, I asked myself, why? Well, it's the same way with the Apostle Paul. He, he maintained the same habit. We read that verse in Acts chapter 17. Paul was in the habit of regularly attending church on the Sabbath day. And the same thing applied to him. They hated him at church. They kicked him out of every church he went to. But you know what? This wasn't just the habit of Jesus and Paul. It goes all the way back to the dawn of human history when God rested on the seventh day and he hallowed that day. He made that day a day of rest and a day of reverence. Church, listen to me. From the beginning of human history, God has ordained that we, his people, treat one day out of the week differently than the other six days. It's a holy day. It's God's day. And in our New Testament tradition, this day is Sunday. It's the Lord's day. Where we come together and worship God and commemorate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the tomb on the first day of the week. But why? I mean, what do we do when we come together here? What purpose does it serve? In other words, let me try to answer this question. What do we get here at church that we don't get anywhere else? Well, I've made a little list of things that we only get here. Let me share it with you. Six things really quick. Number one, when we come here, we encounter the presence of Jesus Christ. When we walk in these doors, we encounter the presence of Jesus, the living God. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, verses 19 and 20. Where two or three of you are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. He's talking about public worship, coming together as the family of faith. Ten chapters later, he told the same disciples that as they went out around the world, baptizing converts, planting churches, and also teaching the word, he said this to them, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So in what way is Jesus here? Well, it reminds me of that uh, little girl who asked her mother, Mama, if this is God's house, why is, why is he never home when we come to visit? Because she's looking for him. She, could, she couldn't find God anywhere. But I want you to know he is here. He is here through his Holy Spirit. In fact, in John chapter 16, just before his crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension, Jesus told the disciples... It is to your advantage that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the Helper, capital H, the Helper, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. He was referring to the Holy Spirit, which in Philippians chapter 1, verse 19, is called the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So what that means is this. When Jesus was on earth, 
He was confined to his physical body. And so he said, it's important that I go back to heaven because I can only be in one place at one time in my physical body. But when I go to heaven, I'm going to send the third member of the Holy Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And he's going to be everywhere. He's going to be in you and among you. And so when we come into the house of God, he's here. It's the presence of Jesus in this room. Let me say number two, and I'll come back and tie this together. Number two, what we do when we come here, we worship God here. We come to worship God. When the disciples had gathered in the upper room after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, they were astonished as suddenly Jesus appeared. He was just, bam, he was in the room. Didn't walk through the door, didn't climb through a window. He was just there. And they fell on their faces to worship him. So when we come into this room, God's house, he is here. His presence is here. And we come here to worship him. And you say, well, preach, okay, I get all that. But why can't I do that at home? Why can't I do that at the lake? I was talking to a guy a couple of weeks ago. He's a big hunter. He says, you know, the only time for me to go hunting is on the weekends. And, you know, this, this, this about the church. But I really connect with God in the deer stand. And I'm pounding you deer hunters because deer season's about to. <laughs> he said, why can't I worship God on the, on the deer stand? Here's the difference between your home, the lake, a deer stand. There is a divine dynamic that occurs in church that you can't get anywhere else. Okay? We come together as the family of faith. And all week long, we have prepared our hearts to worship God, right? Yes. We should be doing that. I'm just going to do a quick time out. Y'all realize that no, the devil's going to do everything he can on Sunday morning to horse you up, mess you up, and get you sidetracked and get you angry before you get here. That happened to you this morning? You know what I'm talking about? You know, he's, he's, he's trying to get you sidetracked so your heart's not ready when you come in here. Dad, do you remember? Do you remember Midland, Texas? I was a little kid. Shreda was little. We'd get ready first because we were guys. Guys get ready first. And we'd go out getting the 63 Impala in the garage. You'd, 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 yeah, he, he knows what I'm talking about. We'd, he'd, he'd open the garage door. He'd start that car. And I'd be in the front seat. And I'd look at him. He'd look at me. I'd look at him. He'd look at me. I'd look at him. I said, do it, Daddy. Just do it. And he would do it. Ah, ah. He'd start honking the horn. Ah, ah. <laughs> Finally, when she came out, she was mad as a little wet hen. My mama right there. I mean, she was just as mad as she could be, and, you know, there, that started it right there. You know what? That, the devil was using you and me. <laughs> we let the devil use us, man. Because all we'd do, it took us, it was eight miles from our house into church, and we'd just, we'd argue and fight the whole way, you know? That was just the tool of the devil. I'm letting you in a little bit of my family history right there, aren't you? You know what? You could probably tell your own story, couldn't you? About this morning. <laughs> That's why Angie and I come to church separately. You, you need to have your heart ready to come here. And when we come here and our hearts are ready, 
the Holy Spirit is in this room. That's the presence of Jesus. And all of a sudden, this divine dynamic occurs, and we are worshiping God together. You can't do that at home. You can't do that on your own. You can't do that in a deer stand. You can't do that at the lake. What happens here is holy. Why? Because we are publicly worshiping the living God. And he is here in this room with us. I've got to say this. Part of our worship is music. Okay? Big part of our worship is music. Did you know that the longest book in the Bible is the book of Psalms? It's actually called the hymn book of the Hebrews. The word psalm literally means the sound of a harp or songs sung to a harp. And one of the most interesting chapters in the Bible on worship is found in 1 Chronicles chapter 25. It's when the temple choir and praise band was organized. David, together with the commanders of the army, set apart some men for the ministry of prophesying the word of God. But their prophesying was to be accompanied by harps and cymbals and stringed instruments. In other words, there were some men and women who were excellent musicians and singers. And they were set aside and appointed to proclaim the word of God through music. To make the truths of scripture and to set those truths to song. And using the medium of music, they were to prophesy and preach to the people of Israel. But not only that, verse 3 of that chapter speaks of this man, Jejuthun. And it talks about his six sons who prophesied using the harp in thanking and praising God. You know that verse that I quoted so many times as we were doing our series on worship? Enter his gates with thanksgiving and come into his courts with praise. They were literally doing that through music. So get this, get this picture in your head here at Cavanaugh Church. You enter the parking lot, whatever entrance you use, giving thanks to God. And when you come into this room, what do we do? Come into his courts with what? With praise, praising the Lord. I love verse 6 of this chapter. It says, all these were under the direction of their father for the music in the house of the Lord. And here's the instruments that they used. Cymbals, stringed instruments, and harps for the service of the house of God. Asaph. Jejuthun and Heman were under the authority of the king. So the number of them with their brethren who were instructed in the songs of the Lord, all who were skillful, was 288. That's a pretty big choir. That's a, that's a humongous praise team. And did you notice the instruments that they played? It was... Probably all the instruments that were known at that time, they played them. And here's something for you. I've read the Old Testament. They didn't play lightly. Had they had amplifiers, they would have been cranked, baby. I'm talking, this is loud music. You could literally hear it for miles. Why? Why? Because it was praise to God. Yeah. 
and it's supposed to be loud. Well, y'all come to second service, so that's not a big deal. You, you like it loud, huh? You say, well, preach as the Old Testament. You know what? Here's what the New Testament says, Ephesians 5, 18 and 19. Do not be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be ye filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourself in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And the important thing about that verse is that they didn't just have one kind of song that they sung. They, they sang a variety of songs. Three categories are listed there. Psalms, which was probably the book of Psalms. They also sang hymns. And let me tell you, it's not the hymns that we have in our hymn books today. They weren't written back then. So somebody was writing these hymns, and then they sang what? Spiritual songs, praise songs, worship songs. So there was a variety. You know, man, it, I, I could talk for hours about music and worship. Here's what I do know. A preacher could get up and preach heresy from the pulpit, literal heresy from the pulpit, and not merely, nearly as many people would get hacked off about that as if you changed the music you sung. You know what I figured out? This is my personal opinion, and it may not be worth a, a plug nickel, but I really, I really don't think God cares what style it is. Just as long, okay, just as long as it's rendering praise to Him. And again, preacher, preacher, dude, listen to me. I listen to Christian radio in the car. I get that. I get that in my car. I listen to, to worship music at home. I don't have to come to church to get that. I want you to listen to it in your car. You need to be listening to Christian music. Did you know the songs we sing in this service are on the radio? I mean, you learn them on the radio. Come here and you sing. We sing them better than they do on the radio. <laughs> I'm rolling today, aren't I? I know you can listen to it on the radio, but it's not the same. It's not the same. There is that divine dynamic that happens in the house of God when corporately we sing praises to God and worship Him. His Spirit is here. He moves among us. It's different, man. I'm going to hurry up. Number three, third thing we do is we pray together. I know it's important to pray alone. It's important to pray in private. In fact, Jesus told us to go to our closet, didn't he? Find a prayer closet. And he said, you pray in secret. Your God who sees you in secret will bless you openly. So I know it's important that we pray in private. But according to the Bible, that kind of praying alone is insufficient. We are told that if two or three of us agree on earth as touching anything... It will be done. That means that together we are to pray. There's power in praying together. You need prayer partners. You need to be involved in public praying where needs are lifted up. That, that, listen, that's why Wednesday nights are so important at our church. 
We come together every Wednesday night. We end our service with a family altar of prayer. And those who physically are able to come down here and we lift up the needs of church, this church, the needs of our people, the needs of our community. And it's impo- there is power when God's people pray together. Amen. All through the book of Acts, that's what they were doing. They were preaching and they were praying. They were praying and they were preaching. And they had great power. And God added to their number daily. There's a cool story about Simon Peter. He was preaching in public and they arrested him. Threw him down in the dungeon. He was in prison awaiting to be executed. So you know what the church did? They met together and they prayed all night long that God would deliver Peter, Simon Peter, from prison. And God heard their prayer. And he dispatched an angel to go into that dungeon. And somehow or another, the angel freed Peter. He was able to walk out of that prison. He just just walked out. He He was a jailbird set free. He escaped imprisonment. And so the first thing he did, he, he went to find his, his brothers and sisters in Christ. He knew they were praying in a house together, and so he went to that house. He tried to get in the gate, but they couldn't hear him. They had locked the gate. They had locked the doors. They were afraid of persecution, so they were hiding away, praying, and they were praying so intently they couldn't hear Peter yelling, let me in. Kind of funny. It was easier for Peter to escape prison than it was for him to get into the prayer meeting. Can I tell you, powerful things happen when God's people pray. So you know what? You need to be here to pray together. You need to be in a small group. You need to be in a Sunday school class where you can share the burdens of your heart and home and they can be prayed over. A couple more things real quick. Number four, when we come together, we study the Word of God. We grow in the Word of God. It's called Bible study. It's called preaching. It's the pulpit ministry I'm doing right now where we read, explain, and apply the Word of God, which builds us up, nourishes our soul, and gives us wisdom. There's a verse in Nehemiah that I have adopted for my preaching ministry. It's found in Nehemiah 8, verse 8. A cool thing happened in the book of Nehemiah. They found the Word of God. For years they had lost the Word of God. And so they built this special platform, and Ezra the priest got up on the platform, and he read the Word of God. Here's what it says in chapter 8, verse 8. So they read in the book, in the law of God, distinctly. They read distinctly the word of God and gave the sense, that is the interpretation of what they were reading, and caused them to understand the reading. And so here's what I do every Sunday when I get up here and preach. That's what I'm hoping and praying happens. That I distinctly and clearly explain the word of God to you. That I preach to you from the Word of God. And if you've been coming here any length of time, you know that I, just, I don't sugarcoat things. I like to encourage you from the Word of God, but sometimes there needs to be conviction from the Word of God. And so we just preach the whole counsel of God. And as I do that, I want to do it distinctly so that you can understand what God says and also take what you hear and apply it to your life. Because you tell me, what good is it if we receive instruction from God's house, but we leave the same way we came? And I know, preacher, I can watch you preach online. 
It's called a live feed. I, aren't you glad we, we have that technology? I mean, I love it. I love to watch Greenwood football on Friday night on the live feed, man. I, I never get to watch myself on the live feed. Think about that. But I have been out of town, and, and I've watched one of the other pastors preach. And that, that is so awesome, and that is so cool. But also, let me tell you again, it is not the same thing. Because we have the divine dynamic happening here in God's house. As I'm preaching the word of God, the Holy Spirit is taking what I'm saying, and he's putting it in your heart. Have you ever been sitting out there and thinking, how did he know that? Ronnie, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? I've been in, in, in church before, and the preacher was preaching. I said, how did he get my mail? How, how did he get in my mind? How did he know that? Dude, let me tell you, it's not me. It's the Holy Spirit working inside of you. Number five, I'm hurrying. I'm trying to hurry. Number five, we get to fellowship with other believers. The, the Greek has a word for this. It's called koinonia. It's authentic Christian fellowship. We share our hearts with one another. We bear each other's burdens. That's what church is for. In fact, did you know the word, words one another are found 150 times in the Bible? With phrases like this, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Jesus Christ has forgiven you. Abound in love for one another. Comfort one another with these words. And then that verse we've already looked at, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, encouraging one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Life is tough, isn't it? And this world is crazy. I mean, we're seeing things right here in America right now that I'm, it's, just, it's spinning my head around. I can't, I can't believe that people are so foolish and so sinful and so ungodly, life is tough, right? Like you, every morning you wake up, you don't know what's going to happen today. What tragedy awaits you and your family today? That's why I don't understand how in the world somebody can go all the way through life without a church family. You are my rock. You're my support. I don't know how people make it without a church. Do you? And part of that is fellowship. The good times, even the bad times, we're one in Jesus Christ. Then finally, as we gather from week to week, we're also concerned about soul winning, evangelism, missions, bringing others into the kingdom, whether they are across the street or across the world. One of our mottos here at Kavanaugh Church is three words, win, train, send. That's what we're about, win, train, send. That is, we want to win people to Jesus. We do that through the Word of God. We tell them the truth about salvation. There's only one way to heaven. That's Jesus Christ. He's the only way you can get saved. And so we want to see people one to Christ. We want to see them repent of their sins. Their name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I want as many people to go to heaven as possibly can. That's why we as a church are about winning people to Christ. But that's only part of the process. After they're one to Christ, number two, we disciple them. We train them. We teach them how to live according to the Word of God. And then the third thing is to send them back out 
so that they can duplicate that process with their family members and their loved ones. When trained, sin. Sin. Evangelism, both at home and abroad, depends upon a vibrant local congregation. And that depends on you and me. And our steadfastness and our consistency and our faithfulness. Someone once said, one generation called it a holy day. The next generation called it a holiday. And then it became a hollow or an empty day. Man, I hope that doesn't happen. But according to the statistics, 17.7% of our population attending church, I think it's soon and quickly becoming that. I don't know about you, but for me and my house... I can't say this about you, but I can say it for me. For, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And as for me and my house, coming to church is not an option. It's just something we do. Why? Because we want to. Dude, let me tell you, my favorite day of the week is Sunday. <laughs> can I tell you? My favorite day is Sunday. Why? Because I'm so excited about what God is going to do. I can't wait to see how God shows up at our church on Sunday and what he does in this corporate congregation. I I just love it. So you know what? I want to be here. That's why it's my church for life. From the cradle to the grave, Kavanaugh is my church for life. So you know what? It's not an option for us. Coming to church, man. Because God commanded me to do it, and I want to be here. Now, I know, I know, we could have a church business meeting, and we could have a motion, you must attend church. You have to be here three times a week. That would die for a lack of a second. (laughs) Because you can't legislate that. You can't force people to come. I can't force you to be here. I can tell you, I need you here. The body needs you here. And I want you here. For your benefit. For your family's benefit. For the kingdom of God. But it's got to be, it's got to be, you've got to have this encounter with God in your own heart where you see, you know what, I can't live without church. I've got to be in God's house. And I pray that today, the Lord would begin to birth that desire in your heart that every week you be here, a part of this body, a part of this church, that you would make Kavanaugh your church for life. Heavenly Father,